Hello, and welcome back to How To Be Happy, a podcast where we explore all the ways that we can live a happier life. My name is Kate DeBrito. I'm your host and guide on this journey into happiness. Let's begin. Lynn Malcolm knows her way around the brain, or rather, how the brain works. Over the course of a decade of interviews conducted for the ABC radio show All In The Mind, Lynn has gleaned many insights into living a good life. Now she's written a book presenting some of the many extraordinary facts and case studies she's learned about over the years. She talks to us about some of the insights she's now incorporated into her own life. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So you have um, hosted a, a radio show and podcast yourself, um, All in the Mind, for, for, for many years. And, and now you've written a book about some of the amazing information and some of the amazing interviews you've done over the years. Would it put you on the spot to say who was the most fascinating? Well, look, I'll start with um, Rebecca Sharrick, who when I was looking at memory, I discovered this particular condition that um, meant that she has the most amazing memory. Um, She remembers every single day of her life. And uh, it's called highly superior autobiographical memory. Very rare. I think she might be the only person in Australia that has it. Her first memory was she was lying on the seat of a car on a lambskin, looking up at her parents, and she figures that that was sort of not as soon as she was born, but it would have been within days of being born. Now, if someone was cynical, they might sort of say, well, how would you you test that? But but her later memories were testable, weren't they? Well, let me tell you how I decided I was going to test this amazing ability. I decided to choose three random dates and ask her what she remembers about them. That is extraordinary. And, and, and to be the only person um, in Australia, it's obviously very rare. But if one person can do it, surely it means that somewhere, somehow, we could all do it. Is it something we could unlock or is it a, is it a special um, part of the, the brain chemistry? No, it is a very particular way that the brain is wired and it's quite rare. You can certainly enhance your memories and and there are techniques to do that. Has she done anything like uh, with her with that memory? Has she has she studied a lot or has she, you know, has she got a million degrees? It, no, it, look, it's an interesting thing. She also has um synesthesia which is where the senses cross and and, and that's another um, um, thing that I deal with in the book. Um, And she also has, she's on the autism spectrum as well. And I also asked her, you know, is it a blessing or a curse? Because, Mm. and and in some ways it it has been a curse. Because, for example, you know, she would, and and because we know that memory is so closely tied with um, emotions, she related a situation where occasionally, like on, on the odd occasion, she might remember having falling over when she was three and grazing her knee. When she recalls that, brings that to her mind, she feels the excruciating pain herself as if she was a three-year-old. 
that's interesting because you, you immediately think of it as being a positive, being able to remember so many things, but perhaps that's why the brain is built the way it is so that we don't remember everything. So we don't have to go through all of those memories every day. That's right. She's dealing with those kind of those conflicts and difficulties, but she also is just so happy that she's able to contribute to the research in the hope that we can help with dementia. And she's really delighted that she's able to contribute in that way. Well, look, that's that's one extraordinary story, and your book is is full of them. I've 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 looked through and and read read many of them. Can I ask, from a personal perspective, having talked to so many, um, you know, very intelligent people, scientists, doctors, and and some of these people who who are talking about their own experiences, how has that impacted your own life? What, what sort of, you know, with all of this knowledge about you know, the brain and how it works and some of the amazing developments. Have you made any changes to your life and the way you live? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I'd like to say that I feel so incredibly privileged to have listened to these stories, um, uh, professionals, academics and amazing um, individuals that have been happy to sort of share their lived experience. It's been quite extraordinary to have those people sort of put trust in me that they can talk to me. Um, yeah, look, I think all along the way I pick up things, you know, and um, I suppose, you know, I I did experience, well, I, and, and different times through my life, experience certain extent of um, anxiety and also, you know, depression or, you know, getting depressed. Um, and when to, to be able to sort of talk to people deeply about their feelings really helps you, you know, um, think about your own situation, how you might help yourself. But, you know, I mean, I, I guess there's kind of um, there's ways, in, I don't know whether you want me to talk about this now, but like there's this whole range of ways that um, I feel that I have changed or I've been inspired. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to hear about it because I think you know what I think people want to hear is uh, like what are the practical things? What are the changes that someone like you, who has heard all this information, has made to her life, or things you've implemented that you feel have um, you know really benefited you, or you know the people around you, even the things that you know have created good change for a good life? Yeah. Okay. So what, look, I, one of the things is um, sort of learning from others, teaching myself um, uh, not to be too critical of myself, teaching myself that this self-compassion and um, compassion for, for, for others is really important as well and, and that, you know, that feeds back and makes you feel happier and, and more, you know, I guess, yeah, more compassionate in yourself. But being able to be com compassionate about yourself and, one of the more extreme situations that I learned that was speaking with people who have auditory hallucinations, for example. Um, they hear voices. They, it might be combined, it might be part of a, a condition of schizophrenia or it might be, you know, some people hear voices without having a particular mental disorder. But 
that, you know, they have to learn how to cope with those voices and often the voices are sort of coming from the past and from past traumatic um, situations. And one um, approach, one kind of new approach to that is um, compassion-focused therapy. So those people kind of learning to, to realise, well, these often horrible voices or destructive voices or you know, have compassion that they are a part of you and they are starting, they are talking to you um, um, to, in a way you can draw on that and you can help um, yourself um, from the, those voices that seem like, you know, they're, they're against you, but in fact you can learn from that. So like a deep inquiry about yourself. It's probably not to minimise, you know, a, a serious um you know, illness or, or disorder. I mean, there's a there's a spectrum, isn't it, in that we all kind of have the voices in our head all day. You know, the, they talk about the monkey mind and the voice, the chatter in our head. So I guess it has sort of, um, you know, it, it reflects on the way we all need to sort of view the talking the talking in our mind. Yeah, that that critical talk is it's debilitating, and it can really kind of absolutely fuel, uh, you know anxiety um so there's that and i suppose in terms of anxiety there were um you know tips that i picked up from um uh actually uh, her name's um, dr jody lowinger and she runs the sydney anxiety clinic and i spoke to one of her patients who was a 10 year old girl and she was talking about her anxieties at school and you know what was going on and she told me about that what Jodie had um, taught her about little tips and tricks you know like um, think of you think of those um, you know when you get into a rumination you know go over and over in your head about an anxiety um, and it feels huge it feels life-threatening it's not actually life-threatening at all it's it's you know almost the opposite but um but stand outside that, feel that, and then think about putting that thought or that rumination on the bookshelf. Just put it on the bookshelf, put it aside and let them stack up, you know, out there. Or she did another exercise where she was asked to just, they got a, a brown paper bag and they wrote worry bully on, on the brown paper bag. So this little girl was kind of encouraged to think about Anxiety is something out, out there. It's not part of you. It's a bully. It's being. It's bullying you. Don't Ex let it bully you. Sort of externalising it. Yeah, yeah, external, putting it in the paper bag. So, you know, even though that's a, a lovely idea, of, uh, you know, to make it, uh, I guess, simpler for kids, it's. A, I reckon adults can really benefit from that as well. Um, then, look, the other thing, um, one of the big things that comes through the book is the mind-body connection and how we're learning more and more about, you know, there is just such a, a tight connection between the mind and the body and, and you know, we, we've got to stop thinking about them as separate. It's weird, isn't it, that we even do think of them as separate? It is. I mean, they're all in the, yeah. in the one system. Why, why have we sort of... Um thought about them separately and I know you've you've spoken to so many great medical doctors as um but yet you're very clear that it's there's limitations around what western yes. western science can tell us about oh, the mind absolutely. and it's it's connection to the body yeah the research is really in its infancy but if you know in terms of sort of what I've you know done in my own life 
I mean, I've I've um, uh, practiced Iyengar uh, yoga type of yoga for you know most of my adult life, and um, and I know that um, I can help myself feel better mentally by moving my body, stretching my body, going out for you know a walk along the beach and experiencing the environment. Um, so if you, you're sort of caught in something in your head and that's you know can happen often just make the decision oh I, I can't, can't solve it now but I'm going out for a walk or I'll go and do some yoga or um you know and and that's been that's really reinforced too there's a, um one of the um the a psychiatrist that works in treating people with trauma you know perhaps trauma from earlier in their lives um and you know, even post-traumatic stress disorder um and he's he's a little, he's a bit unconventional. He's not completely kind of accepted in the psychiatric field, but he believes that um, there's been too much focus on trying to get people to speak, go back and speak about their trauma. Tell us what happened. You know, remember it, reliving um, it, too. Re- relive it, relive it. No, it can be sort of terribly damaging. What he does is he just and and he works a lot with kids, and he just creates a physical challenge for them you know let's do this and jump over that and and let's stretch out here and let's you know pretend we're kind of like a dog we're doing a dog stretch and and he encourages you know people to absolutely get into their bodies and he believes that that sort of um that can really unlock the the um the stress that you experience through your body and he's he's very you know to me he's very convincing, yeah. So um, I I've also looked, I talk to about um, meditation, and um, and I know that you know there's so much talk about you know mindfulness and meditation now, um, uh, and I I do believe that that's beneficial, and I've. Um, I've been on and off the wagon with <laughs> with meditation, you know. Like I've done a few courses, and uh, and I'm I'm actually in a space now where I'm I'm I feel really good. I'm kind of doing a half hour session uh, morning and evening. And again, it's it, a commitment for a lot of people, isn't it? it is, that sort of yeah, amount of uh, that amount of time. It is a, it is a commitment, but I'm finding, hey, look, I'm able to do it at the moment, and I really feel that it's very strange to put your finger on well, what is you know how do you feel different and how is it help? But I kind of feel within myself that it is, it is helping me. Um, the other thing that um, I'm there's a there's a section on um, on creativity in the in the book as well and um, yeah I I love that because yeah. it's you know I'm I'm always a little bit sort of out there and I like the unexplained parts of our mind and mm. you know our lives and I think creativity is sort of something that people don't really understand it's a little bit like you know you've got a section on consciousness too it's it's people don't really understand how those ideas where do they come from how do they happen and so just sort of learning a little bit more about creativity and you know the the idea that well um you every every human beings are creative they have to be creative to get by but we a lot of us don't have the confidence in our creativity we get a bit too kind of mental about it you know we're sort of mentally thinking it through rather than 
letting it happen and, and being intuitive. And there's um, uh, it's, there's a, a certain uh, network in the brain, the um, default mode network, and they believe that, that there's three networks that work together um, and there's the default mode network, there's the... Um, God, so it's more the executive functioning um, yes. network and there's the salience network. And so the default mode network is when um, it's like what happens when you daydream, opposite to what happens when you meditate. So daydreaming is just absolutely letting your mind go wherever it goes, sort of like sitting in the bus and gazing out the window. Um, rather than looking at your mobile phone. Um, or, um, yeah, so sort of daydreaming is really important. Um, but then to, to sort of be creative to kind of, I guess, to do something with your creativity, you also have to get things in order. So, so, the, so the ideas come through the um, um, uh, default mode network, but you also have to get more of a, a planning thing happening with, with the executive function and then the salience network is where it, it it kind of tests out how those two um fit together and it's found that um those who are more creative have better connections between those three networks um and they and so it's it's a really interesting field of study and and so and and now people are looking at well how can you best um, nurture that you can nurture your creativity because creativity is obviously not about um, necessarily having a career as an artist or as a singer it's and I think maybe as you said that that might be the mistake people make thinking that it's about a performance or how good they are creativity is sort of um, you don't have to necessarily be good at something to be creative do you no and it, uh, you know I, I think I, I was starting to say that I've actually since I um stopped doing the podcast and and, and stopped doing broadcasting at, at the ABC um I've taken up um visual arts and um which I'd always been attracted to really early but then dropped the whole thing for the whole of my you know adult life really and um and and so now I'm kind of doing painting and drawing and a bit of printmaking, trying it out. And it and it's, you know, at in the first instance, it's actually very threatening to kind of go back and, you know, to be a beginner. I feel like I'm in mm. kindergarten, you know, yeah. <laughs> this ripe old age, you know. And um, but you have to just drop that. And I've just really enjoyed and I feel the benefit of getting into that flow and enjoying the process of the creation is, is well, actually that, really interesting. That's good for your brain too, right? Very to good. be learning something new and, um, you know, you, you, you've you spent some time in the book talking about things like, um, you know, old age in terms of Alzheimer's and dementia and mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of research and, and no one really understands exact causes I know mm. they know there's some protective sort of things you can do but learning new things can be protective against that decline that mental decline can't it very much and so things like um putting putting yourself um David Eagleman is a is a, a renowned uh, neuroscience and he's scientist and he's written quite a bit on um, creativity as well he thinks creativity is actually the future. You know, he says little things like, for example, if you want to give a gift to someone, make it. Try uh, driving home a different way. 
put your brain in a bit of a different space. Try out new things. You know, put yourself, challenge yourself. Turn um, Google Maps off, perhaps. Oh, God, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I turn Google Maps on even when I know where I'm going. I just find it comforting that it you tells, do, me, you? tells me what I'm doing. Can I, can I ask about that? Um, you know, we're talking about Google Maps, but just you also mentioned sort of sitting on a bus and, and, and not looking at your phone. Mm. In some of the discussions and chats you've had, surely you've talked about technology. I think on some level we're, we're all very concerned, even though we are so dependent mm-hmm. and are yes. attached and, and love our devices. They bring us a lot of obviously joy and convenience. And yet we know that there's some real downsides, right, in terms yeah. of brain development. And like you sort of said, you know, not having those times to daydream and, and to um, be present. That's right. Yes, it's a real dilemma. Uh, one of the, the people I spoke to about this um, is um, Fiona Kerr and she is really, you know, very um, interested in looking at where te- technology fits in um, with human beings now. And she sort of gave me, you know, set me the challenge right at the beginning to say, when you're in the queue lining up waiting for your coffee, um, what do you do? Do you um, do you uh, turn around and have a chat with someone, or do you um, gaze off into the distance and kind of daydream, or do you get your phone out and do you kind of check how you know or catch up with them replying to? Bing. Yeah. That's a great yeah. um, and of course, you know, I've got to say, I do too often. I do that, but she said, what? we should be doing is kind of letting those other things happen. Human connection, you know, just um, looking at someone in the eye, um, communicating just about nothing much, doesn't matter, but that human connection really, um, you know, feeds into a a kind of a better sense of well-being for both parties. The daydreaming we've talked about, we need that to be creative and so therefore with technology I mean she's she's big on tech she's worked a lot with technology and even kind of robotics and um and that and that sort of thing but she says we just have to we all love technology but we have to work out and learn how to use it best make it a tool that works for us don't let it dominate um and uh that's very hard, I think. But you know that we really have to stop and think. You know, how as a society, how are we going to, I guess, regulate these things? You know, especially when you know we're talking about the um, the the chatbot issue, etc. It's like, well, let's stop and think. How are we going to use them, and how are we going to regulate it? You know, because we're all human, and we all we're all vulnerable to that sort of addiction to technology because. The technology is designed to rope you in, you know. It's got every, you know, it's like it's like poker machines. It's designed to sort of um, draw you in. So, look, Lynn, we, we've never been, and I guess I'm speaking about in Australia and, and for the most part, you know, people have never been sort of more, more, more comfortable in terms of, um, you know, wealth. We, we have things like smartphones and, and we don't we don't live, um, for the most part, um, in deprivation. And yet in Western countries, people are, seem to be more unhappy than ever before. 
Um, you know, rates of anxiety and depression are, are high, especially among young people. Is there a is there an answer? Obviously, technology may play a part. I I don't know, but it is there is there an answer for us from these interviews you've done about how we can find um, more happiness in a world that's 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 reasonably comfortable for for mm. most people these days. Yeah. Um, look, even that that sort of um, observation that that we seem to be mostly making now is that you know anxiety and depression are increasing and you know um well you know that may or may not be true I think it's an easy one to jump to that that it is increasing you know is it is it that we're um describing it uh better is it that we're talking about it more um all those questions uh are worth considering in terms of that but um, I guess, look, the way I finished the book, having kind of gone through all this, is that what strikes me the most in, in so many different ways through so many different conditions and issues is that what makes a difference is authentic human com- communication and connection. So, um, you know, I mean, a few examples like, well, with therapy, if, if you need, if you seek out a therapist, do you need a therapist? Um, well, it works. It you know it can it can work. Um, but if you haven't got a good connection with that person, then it's not going to be nearly as effective as if you do have. Um, even with the the risk, you know, it's interesting that the sort of latest research with um, using um, um, psychedelic drugs. In, in the, the potential of, of using those drugs to help in um, conditions of mental illness, even that, it's in conjunction with a therapist. So, you know, for example, sort of sitting with a therapist and having that therapist guide you through and, and um, be there for you, um, that's essential part of that research. Um, and... What the the person that I sort of end up speaking about in the in the book um, was um, Mathieu Ricard, who was a um, Canadian scientist, um, and he got interested in um, in meditation, and he uh, travelled to um, Tibet and did a lot of study in in Buddhism and a lot and hours and hours and hours of meditation. He was asked by the Dalai Lama to, um, you know, join a group of scientists to test out what the actual impact on the brain is through brain scanning of hours of meditation and mindfulness. Um, there's a lot of inter- very interesting science uh, showing that. But whether, whether you know, that's not the, the um, necessarily the solution, um, but he talks about it's, it's compassion. It's compassion that we need most of all uh, um, in the face of all the, um, you know, the, the depressing things that we see around us, the, you know, international politics we, and, and even that sort of feeling of, um, you know, desolation and um, lacking hope about mental illness perhaps, you know, becoming more prominent. Um, he's, he thinks that what we really need to do is just get back into being compassionate 
for ourselves and for other people and that will be the path for, um, you know, to, to really um, save us from all that. It's a beautiful message. It's surely, it, it's surely not that hard but, but, you know, when going about our daily lives, I guess this is, this is when people, it, it slips away, right? Yeah, it does. But even I'm just thinking kindness and compassion. So one of the the people I interviewed um, earlier was um, Ralph Kelly, and I know, he, I know Ralph. You know Ralph, yeah. yeah. And he has started up this. Um, uh, it's called Stay Kind organization. Yeah. And for people who who might not remember Ralph, can you explain? Yeah. So he um, was um, sadly lost his son. His son was going out on, you know, a night out with his mates um, up at the King's Cross in Sydney and he got out of the car and he was um, king hit. So somebody just randomly kind of punched him and he was ended up, you know, he's in hospital but sort of sadly died soon after. Um, and, of course, Ralph and his family um uh, were devastated, you know, and uh, he did a lot of thinking and he had a lot of um, support around him. And eventually he thought the only only answer to this, the only way that we can um, we can get through this is to promote kindness across society. And so he started up these um, these groups to go out in the streets and talk to, to people, youth in the streets and um homeless people and and he got all these volunteers to to work around um, promoting kindness throughout society um and and that was you know very very strong and then sadly not too long after that his other son um um passed away as well and that was the kind of the you know, oh do we just disband this whole thing you know like do we just um, I can't go on you know um, and then but no we thought no now we've got all these people that are sort of that they're realizing the benefits of promoting kindness across the society and we can't let them down so we have to keep promoting this the only way is to to spread this kindness and this goodwill it's, it's an incredible movement. Um, not just because of its message, but I, I always thought because it's it's such a hard um, one to measure. You know, if you say we're going to go out and we're going to, you know, open five centres for people with, you know, this sort of disability or, or with this disorder, you know, there's, there's a lot of measurable parts to that. But to go out and just sort of say, well, we're going to try and make society a kinder place, is a really altruistic um, offering, I, I always thought. And he is, a, is an incredibly um, lovely man who's, who's been through a lot. But I always thought that was one of, the, um, one of the harder parts for him, was trying to sort of, how do you measure that society has become kindness, um, but become more kind because of your, your program? But um, he, he persists. He just persists. And, um, and I think that what happens is that he feels the benefit himself yeah um, but and probably all the individuals that have worked with him and, and that take notice of him feel the benefits themselves not only see that they're helping others but feels the benefits and it's the sort of thing the same thing that um um, Ricard, um Mathieu Ricard is is um promoting it's like that that sort of just 
spreading person to person through human connection that perhaps that's where the hope lies, you know, that we can actually have faith that in the long run, the more that we promote that, that um, the more hope we've got. I note in your book, you know, going back to things like mental illness or to disorders, um, you know, I note that you, you say that perhaps in the future or, or now we're coming to a point where we're realising we need a more individualistic approach to, um, you know, treatment, that it, there's no one size fits all. Antidepressants might work for, for one person, but not at all for another. As you say, therapy might be great. It, it might be all of those sorts of individual things. Taking that into account, what would you say the top three things that people could do to live a, a happier life? What do you think are the things that are just quite general that will help everyone in some way? <laughs> um, uh, well, I think yeah, valuing um, connection with others and valuing those around you that, that mean something to you. I think Concentrating on being authentic, not within yourself, not um, sort of falling into that trap of having to compete or having to be better than others or, you know, like really try and tune in to yourself and, and what is good for you. Um, and I think also that that uh, mind-body um, connection um have it work together, you know, and, and um, uh, value the that connection. So if you really feel something in your body and it's reflected in your mind, you know, I, I think that you can't go wrong if you're sort of concentrating on um, being an authentic self, you know, would be my suggestion. And there are lots of different ways to do that and, and, um, and I guess the... Um, that you know we have to work out those ways but it's just like pushing away the the ir irrelevant stuff the you know comparing to others stuff you know and think about what's really really important and right for me i think it's it is it's one of the difficult parts i think in a in a in a society that is sort of built up around marketing certain lives and the way you want to live is a, it's a real key to recognize that realistically the only thing you need to do is 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 make yourself happy and I don't mean ignoring other people's needs or not caring for other people but I mean doing what feels good for you your path mm. is your path it's very individual right and yeah. and learning to trust that I think is the hard part for people that's right and I think too um the concept of happiness the word happiness is a bit scary as well because it's like how to be happy um don't know <laughs> but um I think it's more like our aspiration probably more needs to be you know how do I create value in my life you know how do I what are my values what am I what what are my reasons to be here um you know I need I need a um you know some sort of a a, a goal and uh a way that I can value myself because we can't be happy every day. I mean, we all have good days and bad days and um, and I think that, you know, that's another thing to be able to um, ride through those 
bad days, ride through those difficulties and just go, yeah, okay, I am feeling that now. Um, but knowing it'll pass and knowing that, you know, you've, you've sort of developed the tools that you need to help um, pull yourself out of that into the into the next good good phase. Um, yeah. So. Well, Lynn, it, it sounds like you've personally learnt a lot from these amazing interviews. I I just I wanted to to tell people because it, the book is is remarkable because you you cover so much and and I you've broken it into three parts: the new insights into the way the brain works and some really fascinating stories. Um, you know, as you said, around memory and, and sleep, dreams and the mystery of consciousness. Let's, I don't even know if we can get started on that because it's, it's what, what do they call it in physics? The hard problem of consciousness yeah. because no one really understands it. That's even right. physicists don't really understand it, do they? And they? Uh, no, no, they don't. And it's interesting that the sort of, uh, you know, they're using as much neuroscience as they can to sort of try and um connect that 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 um, the physical matter of the brain with the not physical matter of the mind that, that is aware of itself yeah it's, it's like your your you know unique sense mm. of yourself yeah um, and you know how how are we going to ever understand that connection between the mind and the brain well, you know, they're working away at it. It's oh, tough. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you you also talk a lot about, and this is we we didn't get to this. It's a whole other section of the book, and I think for people who are interested in this, um, you know, who who maybe have um, people in their family or who who have certain issues themselves, you, you've 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 written a lot about autism and neurodiversity, which are obviously things that we're becoming much more aware of, but um, also some really interesting sort of ways of seeing the world, like hearing colours and um, seeing when you're blind. I loved all that. That was interesting. But mm -hmm. you've also got some insights um, about some more common um, mental conditions around um you know, dementia, anxiety and, and depression, et, et cetera, et cetera. So for people who want to hear a bit more about that, the book is really interesting, All in the Mind. It's out now, Lynn. Yes, it is. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I just, um, I reckon I could pick your brain all <laughs> night at a dinner party and you'd be like, can someone please move me down the other end of the table from this woman? Thank you so much, Kate. It's been really lovely to talk to you. All right. Nice to talk to you too.